And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before they'd been at enmity with one another. It is proverbial that misery loves company, two miserable men whom Luke portrays as fundamentally weak become friends as they perpetuate, perpetrate a miserable act. Herod Antipas is the man who has been, is a, the man who has been spurned and ignored by the Roman procurator rather than being invited into the corridors of real power. He was nothing like his father, Herod the Great. He was a tetrarch, ruler of a quarter of the territory of his father, the very definition of a weak and petty tyrant. He had put John the Baptist to death, remember, for criticizing his marriage, a minor celebrity trying to muzzle the press after his adulterous affair is discovered. And all of a sudden, confirmation that the procurator knows of his existence and recognizes a measure of his authority. It's as though he's been called to the head office to be given an assignment by the boss. And the boss, of course, is no great shakes himself. Someone with a famous relative who's given a position in the administration through nepotism rather than talent is clearly not that interested in doing much with his job. And here, as ever, trying to fob off responsibility on someone else. And they became friends with each other that very day. Oh, that luscious fellow feeling in the face of evil. Oh, that wonderful sense of togetherness that makes it so difficult to stand up for the innocent and makes it so easy to create another victim. It's amazing how easy it is, how good it feels to go along with the crowd. I remember my first experiences of really being in a crowd. As a teenager, I used to go to Ipswich Town Football Club, Portman Road, in uh, an East Anglia country town, to watch a football team whose fortunes have waxed and waned over the years. But in those days, the stands were literally stands, and we stood in the stands, and you could almost be picked up and carried by the crowd as it surged forward when something exciting happened. And there was great camaraderie and great sense of togetherness and a great sense of fun. But all of that fun, it turned out, had a dark side. And that was how quickly this crowd having fun could turn into a mob being violent, taunting the visitors visiting teams' fans was part of the fun until fueled by alcohol some of the thugs these were the days of skinheads some of you may recall would find people in the wrong colours in the town after the game would beat them up kick them in and so a few years later when I went back to Portman Road after I'd moved to America there was then a barbed wire fence that separated in the, in the stadium separated the opposing visiting teams' fans who had come by buses from Birmingham or Leeds or wherever it was. And the taunting went on just as much, but there was this undercurrent of violence. Everyone was seated. There were no more standing in those days. The stands had been declared dangerous. And, and, and we were asked to stay in our seats while the opposition fans were escorted to their buses by hosts of police. This was all fun, remember. 
and then when we'd walk past their buses on the way back to our cars and they were rocking the buses and screaming epithets and taunting the police. It's all meant to be fun, but how quickly togetherness creates otherness. And, and we can always hate and we can always fear and we can always kill the other. Scott Roder was sentenced yesterday to 50 years in prison with no possibility of parole for stalking and murdering a doctor called George Tiller. And Dr. Tiller apparently performed late-term abortions, and Scott Roder thought that was murder. He said he was following God's law when he committed his crime. And in mitigation, it was suggested, among other things, the judge should take into account that he was a churchgoer. Now, unfortunately, the church he went to on the day of the murder was Dr. Tiller's church. But you know, you have to know how many sermons he had heard about abortion being the real crime and how the unborn needed protectors. You have to know how, how good it was to feel righteous. And, and when you talked about the sermon over coffee afterwards and, and everyone agreed that the unborn need protection and the enemy are ruining the country. How good it felt to know that he was among the God-fearers and on the side of right over against evil. See, togetherness can create otherness, even in church. Why is it that we prefer a full church to a sparsely filled one, except perhaps today? As a schoolboy, at the same time when I was going to Portman Road, I always preferred house plays and house sports to school plays and school teams. I liked the sense that this community I was in, this small community within the larger community, we're all in it together. Togetherness doesn't have to lead to otherness, and competition does not have to become a matter of life and death, but somehow the forces of togetherness keep leading to separateness and otherness. I moved to Washington, D.C. in 1987, and I was quite regularly at parties with both Republicans and Democrats. When I left in 1998, that experience was the exception rather than the rule. Being sociable with people of the other party was getting more and more difficult. And today, we're seeing party discipline being taken to the level of making sure that candidates of one's own party have ideological purity political discourse is marked by anger and sloganeering and mean-spiritedness rather than civility, rather than the sense that we're all in it together, all trying to do the right thing. And Herod and Pilate became friends that very day. They had mocked Jesus. They had struck him. They'd accused and taunted him. Are you the son of God then? Ridiculous, preposterous, absurd. And what Jesus does is just refuses to participate in these kangaroo courts. He shows them for what they are. He won't dignify the proceedings with a defense. He keeps putting the spotlight back on the behavior of the judges. You say that I'm the son of God. And as often happens when we name bad behavior, we become the issue 
easy to go after Jesus at that point. What further testimony do we need? We've heard his blasphemy from our own lips. He's the problem. He's the issue. Not us, not our behavior, not our crowd-pleasing, not our togetherness, creating, creating otherness. We are not only right, we are righteous. It feels good to make friends with power. And Herod and Pilate became friends that very day. Well, isn't that special? And isn't that also a mirror of our own behavior? And doesn't Jesus show us what we do? And in his integrity, doesn't he also show us another way, a better way, a way more filled with hope going forward?